Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There's a distinct championship feeling here at Fir Park, said Jenny McNee in commentary as the match kicked off. Thousands of Rangers fans had squeezed in for the penultimate game of the season, perhaps more in hope than in expectation of a title party something that required both a Rangers win and for Aberdeen to slip up at home to St Johnston. The most likely scenario was two narrow wins, probably by the odd goal, which would still leave the challengers having to come to Ibrox in the final day of the season and win by five. No, a Rangers win in Lanarkshire would be enough, as long as Aberdeen didn't go goal crazy at Pitodry, for them to secure a third championship in a row for the first time since 1935. It was starting to feel like normal service, but there was nothing normal about the situation Rangers faced that day. This new era of regular success that we've been talking about had been engineered by Graham Souness and had been driven on by Terry Butcher, but by then, neither manager nor captain were employed at Ibrooks. Even the new skipper, Richard Goff, was in hospital, listening on the radio as the Rangers squad became more threadbare the closer the finishing line approached. The pressure was becoming intolerable. But then, pressure was the theme of the whole season, as soon as his war footing with the governing bodies expanded to encompass the media, Perthshire tea ladies, the Rangers support, and two of their greatest heroes, serving only to create more strain for all concerned. The same abrasive personality that transformed the Scottish game had now created a monster from which Sunnis himself had to escape. His players, however, couldn't escape it, and the real story of 1991 was their ability to respond to this tension, both external and internal. It was a season where individual players showed the strength of character to emerge as new leaders or to simply survive, and where collectively, during some of his darkest hours, they responded with trophy-winning performances. As Ian Durant later described them, those were the days that summed up the true Rangers. There was no day more so than the league season's denouement at Ibrox, which was a drama scripted by Rangers the week before. Walter Smith, in only his third game in charge, and beside his new assistant Archie Knox for the first time, were still encouraging the side to push forward for an equaliser at Fir Park that would only likely change very little unless he could follow up with a quick winner. With Aberdeen winning 2-1 late into the day, as things stood, a draw in the final day showdown would be enough. It was still enough when Motherwell sprung a counter and Dougie Arnott scored a brilliant goal to make it two. It was then, with only four minutes remaining, that Rangers should have cut their losses and moved on, holding on to that slender goal difference advantage over Aberdeen. But still they charged, leaving wide open spaces aching to be exposed. Inevitably, that naivety was punished again when, with only one minute remaining, Arnott and Motherwell repeated the same trick. What could have been a league-winning day finished up feeling like a catastrophe. For 23 weeks, Rangers have been top of the table, and now, with only a week remaining, they were second. With 23 points from the last 24, and with 26 goals scored in those 12 games, Aberdeen were coming to Ibrox in red-hot form, with Rangers scrambling around to find even half-fit players. For that week in May, the whole era that is now synonymous with Rangers' dominance hung by a single thread. To start the journey of four weeks to that week in May, I'm joined by David Edgar. How are we? I'm all right. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, I mean, an epochal season, really, mm. in terms of what it represented, the changes that took place, the personalities, the, the stories. There's so many things that come out of this season that I think we still 
uh, uses comparisons even now. Mm. I think there's so many things that came out of that season that changed Rangers and changed Scottish football as, as pretty much everything Graham Souness was involved in, positive or negative, roundabout then tended to do. And of course, the most thrilling of last days at Ibrox, certainly up until 2003. So mm. it was uh, it was a crazy season. We went up and down like a yo-yo uh, in terms of our emotions. And my goodness, yeah, as a as a young kid moving from from being a, a little boy into being a teenager, this was the season where uh, a couple of my uh, honorary uncles decided that uh, they would they would head elsewhere. Mm. And joining us from sunny Spain, we are recording this a matter of days before Rangers Europa League uh, final, is Alan Bradley. How are you? I'm good. I've just put the sombrero down just now, Martin. You've got my undivided attention, but no, really good. As David said, I'm looking forward to this one. I took a few notes. It's the usual domestic against European mm. you know, challenges we have. New players coming in, as David mentioned, other ones going out as well. Relationships between the manager, some of our key players, and within Scottish football. Uh, just an absolute kind of fascinating season. And again, my goodness, the end. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll never forget it, Martin. Just such a wonderful end, but it's up and down all the way through the season till we get there, yeah. Yeah, it is dramatic. It is pretty torturous. We'll start in Italy, where Rangers seasons, I guess, have started um, for the for the, the last two. Um, it provided regeneration in '88, David. These trips to Ochoco, of course, and maybe some space for uh, integration and, and cultural adjustment in, in 1989. <laughs> um, but this time, I guess it provided a portent of the, the, the tempest that you've, you've talked about, the, 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 what was coming in this season. Italy, of course, was the centre of the football world. It was the centre of the football world anyway. Um, but I think for maybe the only time a World Cup was, was held at a time where its host nation was the epicentre of football. Um, it might have lacked the sufficient degree of, of um, attacking football, um, but there was no shortage of drama. It was an incredible month to watch football, David. Drawing in a large casual audience um, with this, uh, the BBC's kind of operatic approach with Pavarotti and Puccini and all that. Um, and I guess that would have a bigger impact on Rangers later on, which we will talk about. Um, but that let's look at the, how this affected the Rangers players involved. A lot of Rangers players involved at the World Cup. Let's look at Scotland, obviously, first. Scotland are in Genoa. Um, McCoyce and Johnston have scored eight of the 12 Scotland goals in qualification. Okay, They are the absolute pinnacle of that team. 35 goals for Rangers in the season before. Um, a lot of expectations that they would uh, lead the charge against Minnows Costa Rica. Um, right up until... The tournament kicked off 8th of June and the Friday. Um, Scotland were playing on the Monday and Rocks were starting to give hints to the press that um, Bayern Munich's Alan McAnally, whom he believed Costa Rica feared, you you mentioned this before, in the, the episode before, they regarded him as the Scottish Van Basten, um, would, would start the opening game. Um, and he started leaking stories that Ali was maybe less than truthful about his fitness. He turned up with a hamstring problem, hadn't told anyone. He was also enthusiastic, huge desire to be involved, decided to keep it quiet. And they were going to assess McCoy's fitness over the weekend. Um, McCoy, in his book in 1992, said no, he was fully fit. Roxburgh actually started to tell him, started to get in his head, that he started to look a bit jaded, Ali. He's not quite with it. Um, despite the Scotland defenders he was playing in training, saying you know he was on fire. Um, and, of course, that famous story where, where McCoy genuinely thought he'd been picked when um, Roxburgh said uh, Moen Ali instead of Moen Ali. Uh, but this was a very odd state of affairs on that Monday afternoon, David. This is crazy management, no matter how you look at it. To make a decision is one thing. And he has the right to play Alan McAnally. This is not mm. some scrub, okay? Mm. You know, I know that he's become a bit of a joke figure in his, his punditry career, but he was, you know, he'd, he'd gone from Celtic to Aston Villa, done well enough to go to Bayern Munich. He was a good player, and he was playing at the top level of, of European competition. There was zero disgrace in saying, for this match... I want to pick 
Alan McInally. I would have disagreed with it. I would have disagreed with anything involving Ali McCoy's because, you know, we're, we're about to talk about a disagreement I had with somebody that I liked far more than Andy Roxburgh, uh, that, that Rangers fans in general had. It's just bizarre management because, firstly, to not tell him until he names the team in front of everybody is just crazy. Um, is it? I mean, how do you think that's going to act? Because you may need him. Right, regardless if you don't want him for the Costa Rica game, you might need him. Turns out they did need to throw him on, and turns out, um, you know, the, the plenty of changes had to be made throughout that campaign up front. So it's bizarre. Secondly, to then not have the courage to just say, I'm the manager for this game, I'm picking him, to then feel that rather than you need to go this, to use an old Scotch word, sleek it route of, mm. well, actually, he's, he's kind of injured. And then, and then to bizarrely, as you say, try to get into the player's head to tell him you're actually off form. I, Someone might be able to explain and make a case to me about why that was good management. To me, it was cowardly management. Mm. It was he didn't want to drop, or he did want to drop the popular player, but he didn't want to take the criticism that would come his way. That is not strong management. If you look back four years before, Alex Ferguson drops Graham Souness for the Uruguay game, takes Graham Souness aside the day before, mm. explains to Graham Souness why he's dropping him, uh, and then tells the press this isn't why I'm playing him. Now, who are you going to respect more? You know, the guy that does that or the guy that's going about it in this way? It's just utterly bizarre. Can you imagine a manager now saying to a, a, a striker, just because you're not playing them in one game, by the way, you're you're off it. I mean, I, I, I can't get my head around it. And, you know, I, I think we're very fortunate Alan McCoy's uh, personality is such mm. that he is somebody that, as we all know, looks for the positive. But more importantly, Ali McCoy's is strong. It's an underrated mm. quality in Ali McCoy's. But we've got so many instances of it throughout his career. Ali Ali GTF, mm. for example, and, uh, you know, this and various other, you know, the, the Haley thing we're about to talk about. We're very fortunate because I'll give you another comparative. Jim Layton, that very summer. Yeah. Jim Layton was dropped for the FA Cup final replay and never recovered. You know, he, 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 and, and really lost. Remember, he ended up as being the reserve goalkeeper at Dundee. Yeah. Um, and he had the late renaissance at Hibs and Aberdeen, but he lost years he would, out of his yeah. career. He would spill, head, yeah. he would spill oh, the ball for the, 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 the late Brazil goal that would not so, yeah. out. Um, so Roxburgh had gone for the more target man approach with McAnally. That's fair. And Costa Rica looked very, very comfortable with that, if truth be told. He then moved. Shockingly, eh? Yeah, incredible. <laughs> Just as if they were prepared for it. Um, yep. Then he moved for speed against Sweden, this middle game, huge game, which Scotland did win. Um, but no McCoyst again. It's it's both Robert Fleck and Gordon Jury in and around um, the, the, the area that, that Mo Johnson would um, occupy. So quite an attacking team, but again, not one that, that, that involves McCoyst. Um, again, the press seem to be aware of this, it's going to be either Fleck or Jury. McCoy's not really getting quoted he does start against Brazil but it's a pretty drab performance if, uh, in all honesty, he explains that Alan by um, talking about this the, 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 these psychological blows that his manager had kind of given him early on these, these demotions um, but for someone that was in such good form had been so crucial to, to Scotland's yeah. qualification. Um, it, it was a really tough summer for Ali, but and David's intimated as well, we were going to find out this season just how how strong he was. Yeah, the thing about Ali, David mentioned that people underestimate it. I mean, he was as hard as nails as well, you know, in terms of on the part. But mentally, he didn't just bounce back. He went, oh, you bloody think so. And every time, he didn't even just go back to that level. It was like, watch this. And it's as if he just used that to motivate him even further. Do you, do you get what I mean? To just keep climbing and climbing. Mm. And I think we'll see that again as you see go through the, the season. But no, I think the whole, like even the Rugsborough thing as well, not even just how he handled it with McCoyce, but that has an impact as well. And a lot of people will be close to McCoyce too. And, you know, the way all this stuff was going on. So in a way, they obviously just kind of shot his in the foot, I think, you know, in terms of that whole way he handled the thing. Yeah. 
Uh, also, he just as an aside, he did yeah. exactly the same to Alan McAnally for the second game. He didn't tell him he was dropping him either. Um, I mean, that, it, it leads to the legend. That was that. Is, is this, is, there's not an old school thing in this. I'm, I'm thinking Fabio yeah. Capello 2010, where he would name his team, and I don't mean name it to the media, I mean name his team mm-hmm. an hour before kickoff, because that is how football used to, to, to work. There wasn't the. What, what you mentioned earlier, there, David, about the Alex Ferguson dealing with Sunnis um, in advance was maybe. <laughs> It's incredible saying that this is ahead of its time, this kind of basic humanity, common sense kind of management, but it, it probably was in football because that, that that was the kind of tradition down in, 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 in tablets of stone. You name the team to the boys an hour before. Uh, even so, I, I just think it's really poor management because what do you think is liable to happen? It's okay saying we've always done it this way. Roxborough very much set his stall at Martin as somebody who didn't do it the way mm. he didn't. He hadn't come through the traditional coaching background. Um, and there's a great story I just want to tell because the younger listeners won't have heard that uh, it was on one of Ali's videos that he was actually rooming with Alan McAnally. Mm. He said, so and, uh, after hearing the news, he's in his hotel room and he said, and I'm sitting there I've been on the phone to my dad in tears. He's no picnic. I can't believe it. He said, and I'm sitting there with the light on. It's late at night and I'm pretending to do crossword puzzles. And Nally walks in. He says, and to be fair to him, he goes, he's obviously been thinking about how best to approach it. And he went, oh, you, get that light turned off. Some of you have to have a game tomorrow. And of course, McCoy's been McCoy. He bursts out laughing. He says, but every dog has his day. He said, next, the Sweden game. It's happened to him and he's in the phone he's dad in tears i can't believe he's dropped me i can't believe this he said so ali says i just walk into the room and throw him a crossword puzzle and goes maybe you can give me a horn with this <laughs> um and, and you know <laughs> it, 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 and it does it says a lot about the way that both of them were able but again an interesting thing that we can talk about with rangers there's never any doubt about johnston johnston is playing yeah and i think that that you know people mm. knew the quality johnston was i think a wee bit ahead of his time certainly for a in Scotland, in Scotland, in Scotland, Scotland yeah. Absolutely see that running yeah, the channels, see that running the channels, see that being the first defender. Mm. I mean, now, wait, mm. but, but, I mm. mean, we still rave about it now when we see Mo Salah do it or whatnot. Johnston with a, you know, prepared the, the tireless running, the dropping into midfield, the, 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 the going through the middle or the going wide. He was, I'm, I'm honestly going to lay this down and people, you can all laugh at me. I think Mo Johnston is at least 15 years ahead of his time here. Yeah, I think when he went to Nong, David, you saw it. I mean, he, he went up a two or three different levels, you know, you know, in terms of that one. So, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I think what gets me too with the whole school teacher type, mm. I don't know, Andy Roxborough, I, I mean, it, everyone knows leadership and how you should do things. And you're talking about kind of human beings and you should be able to, even if it's a case of you're going to name the team, but you know, if you would know in business, wouldn't you? If someone, you're going to have to have a wee word with them in the quiet. You've got to be respectful of them and you've got to do that and say, listen, I'm doing this and this is why. And people will, they will actually accept it. As David said, even if you don't agree with it, but you'll go, well, ultimately you're the person in charge, but at least you've done it. But it's just that whole way, you know, it was mishandled. Uh, it's just, and the thing is, we we had a really good chance as well. To be honest with you, we should have beaten Costa Rica. You think? I uh, no. I we should have beaten Costa Rica, yeah. Uh, no, but if we'd if we'd have played, I think if we'd played the right team, we we should have beaten them. We, we'd beat Sweden. When it got to the Brazil game, if you remember, I, I, I don't know at the end. I think we made we got angry. We made them angry, didn't we? Did Johnson hit the bar or something? And they ran up and then later made an arse of the you know the kind of goal. But no, I think if we'd done things properly, we could have got through to the, the next stages. Uh, everyone expected it. Yeah. Um, that, that, that's my, that, that, that is my uh, uh, Look at memory. the players in that squad. There's uh, good players, right? And yeah, yet, yeah. Scotland, Scotland should have beaten Costa Rica. I'm sorry, Martin. You just look at the levels of the two teams. It, it, you know, I know that we can be a wee bit arrogant in this country misplacedly. Uh, Morocco 98 springs yeah, to mind, yeah. but they had, they were full of guys playing at top leagues. Costa Rica were most certainly not. Yeah, can I just and... be clear for the record? I agree, we should have beaten Costa Rica. Right, yeah, oh, I wasn't. Absolutely. I, I absolutely I was see, not see thinking we, that. See, see if we beat Costa Rica, then lost to Sweden, lost to Brazil. Fair That's enough. very good. Yeah, no, but and right. remember, by the way, there's a 2014 World Cup. You don't have to be in the top two. There will be uh, what? 
four six groups um, with with best third place. In fact, even the Brazil game actually didn't officially knock us out. Um, we we needed Uruguay, I think, to to draw with South Korea, and we would have been the best third place team. But they got a, a ninety first minute winner. Oh, of course, uh, something does. like that. very very Scotland. But but no, when that draw was made in the the December of eighty nine, finally we're going through. Yeah, we'll never qualified yeah. before. First time we will beat Costa Rica, and then it's basically this kind of European playoff uh, against uh, and that, that, that's Martin. Yeah, yeah. You know that you know the helicopter Sunday Edinburgh one where Ian Murray they're passing it about. Mm. We're not going; they're keeping it. The Scotland Brazil one, I, from recollection, uh, had that feel. We didn't really want to. We we never really pushed too much. Brazil didn't push too much either. There was this good relationship between Scotland and Brazil, and as I say, I'm sure it was right up towards the end until we, I think we hit the bar or whatever, and they went, and I think we were about what, six minutes to go or something. They went up the park and actually scored the goal. So there would have been, but no, definitely we should have done something in Costa Rica. I don't know how further we would have got, but certainly qualifying to the next stages. Yeah, no, they should have done. Um... For the rest of the Rangers players involved, probably not that much more enjoyable, certainly in the Scotland camp, than the McCoys. No. Johnson played, uh, I think, every game, um, scored the effective winner, the, the 2 1 win over Sweden, put Scotland 2 0 up from the penalty spot. Stuart McCall scored the, the first, who would also have yeah, right. parry yeah. soon enough. Um, but he didn't hit the bar, Alan. He, he, Taffarel made a save from Johnson from oh, very close it, range. He you, should have scored. Um, yeah, he yeah, really he should have scored. Um, and this is what happened to Murdo McLeod. Well, yes. You know, people Murdo who heard him on the radio afterwards. Yeah. yeah, people who maybe heard him on the radio afterwards. Yeah, this is why. Yeah. So, Johnson, frustrating, because he he probably should have scored the goal that, that, that put Scotland through. Richard Goff... Last forty-five minutes has that that foot injury that we talked about in in, in the, the, the last season shows reappeared. Um, possibly again wasn't fully um, documented or fully admitted to when he, he joined up, but he he lasted the first half against Costa Rica and that was him. Um, Scotland had three Rangers players in their squad. England had more; they had four. Um, Chris Woods didn't see a minute. Um, arguably, possibly should have seen more than um, zero minutes. Uh, an aging Peter Shilton um, was starting to get found out a little bit. Uh, Gary Stevens was dropped after the first game. England famously going from four four two to that three at the back. He, um, Bobby Robson felt that Paul Parker was a better wing back than than, than Gary Stevens. Um, Trevor, he was quick. He was very quick. He was. Trevor Stephen played the final two games. Terry Butcher saying his farewell. Um, to international football, he played five of England's seven games, um, missed one for experimentation and one through injury. But by his own admission, it was a struggle. He said he needed a small knee operation yeah. immediately yeah. after the tournament and said, Look, at that top level, he said he was hanging on in Italy. Um, and it would be a future Rangers star who was, of course, England's. Um, man most associated with that that, that tournament because Paul Gascoigne um, Butcher's injury we will come back to um, in another episode probably but again the, the, the signs were there England's tournament was of relevance um, more on the part than off it I think uh, England won the Fair Play Award you know Robson's humanity, Gascoigne's tear all of that um, meant that UEFA decided finally to uh, end the ban on English clubs, uh, and that would start immediately for the, the, the 1991 season. Manchester United and Aston Villa would compete in the, the, the Cup Winners' Cup and UEFA Cup respectively, but Liverpool, who were champions, were going to sit out another year. Um, and Celtic were supposed to play in Europe, um, but then had to put their passports back because they they were um, they were the, the, the team that had to kind of make way in that UEFA Cup. Um, but, David, this carrot that we have been able to dangle for four or five years now uh, is over um, that, 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 that is now at an end and the days of Rangers being the biggest club in Britain are also coming to an end yeah they stroke. are I think we've got a couple of um, you know I, I, I think we've got a couple of decent uh, decent years ahead of us and of course even as late as 94 Duncan Ferguson will set the British transfer record mm. But the, shall we say, the the wheels were in motion about it, and again, it was always going to be very difficult for a 
a country of four or five million at that time and a country of I think around 60 million at that time they are going to if they get their act together because English football had been dreadfully run Scottish football not much better but English football was appallingly run by people who didn't like football fans um, and I think once they got their there are some gear plus, you know, as you mentioned, three foreigner rule is going to limit us because the talent pool coming out of Scotland. I had a very interesting thing many years ago from a youth coach at Ibrox when I asked them about why Scotland look at the eighty-six and ninety squads. They they are packed with talent, right? I mean they are, and there were loads of players at home that could have gone in. And then you look mm-hmm. at the mid nineties and I think, as as I like to call them, the Scott Booth era, you know, when guys like that are getting <laughs> in Scotland squad, Scott Gamble, etc. And he actually said it was a teacher strike. He said we lost three mm. years of kids playing football because yeah. all, all extracurricular activities were stopped. He said, so we have this huge gap. And it, it it's taken us really to the last, what, maybe 10 years? Because we just kept doing the things we'd done before that. Um, which were by then outmoded and outdated. And look, it might be nonsense. I just thought it was an interesting, it was an interesting thing to to say. Um, but yeah, I, you were right, Martin. The tectonic plates were shifting. Nineteen ninety acts, I think, is a nice point if you want to say when football changed, because the World Cup changes opinions mm. on football. Um, you mentioned there that people watched it, and rather than this sort of violent, um, you know, people with with no teeth running on the pitch, battering each other, uh, thing that we had witnessed up to that point, there was this amazing culture. Then there would be the influx of foreign players into the UK. Then there would be obviously the Premier League, and that's because people looked at Italy in 1990 and went, oh, "Hang on, we can make a lot of money in this. Mm-hmm. Hang on, we can yeah. attract families to this, yeah. and it doesn't yeah. have to be yeah. this continual." Um, well, you know, the Hooligans, just, 1970s. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, and I think it's a catalyst. It's not a turning point. That's that's not the right term. It's a catalyst because it made now. There's good and bad. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who who hate aspects of modern football. Uh, we, you know, as we record, we've just seen Yanis Hadji put a a TikTok video up called "The Comeback." He's been out for three months. Um, you know, so football has changed in that way. But I, I always, when people go back and say, "Oh, I miss the old days," I miss certain parts of the old days. Don't get me wrong, because I grew up in it, right? And it was there was great things then. Um, but I don't miss going to Hamden and having somebody pee down the back of my leg, for example. You know, there have been great advances as well in that point. But what it did mean was that Rangers, who had been a dynamic, forward-thinking, go-ahead side, hmm. were, were going to find that the, the glass ceiling... We were going to get caught up. Uh-huh, yeah, the gla- the glass ceiling yeah. was lowering, and unfortunately, countries to the left of us, countries to the right of us, theirs was a lot higher. I mean, David, I think you're absolutely right. I, I would say the, the the formality of that process is, is 1992. That's when clearly football changed. Premier League, Champions League, law changes, mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, television three, money. Three television point, money starts to yeah, come in. points, pass back, things yeah. like that. All the different, yeah. Yeah, but but your your catalyst is the world, and it is Italian ninety. And it's I don't know if I talked about this in the last show. Forgive me. It's been a difficult week for concentration. Um, but the coverage of Italian 90 changes everything. Yeah. You have, and the BBC got this right for the 90s with Puccini and then Bernstein and, and Fuari or whatever. It's, it, they knew they can amplify the drama, not obliterate it, not overdo it, just get it right. Now, that did tip over in the 21st century where Sky could sell Bolton v West Ham as the coming of the apocalypse. But <laughs> yeah. at that, that time in the 90s, it was just the right thing. The drama on the, on your screen is better than anything that can be written. Mm. And they just got the, 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 the pitch of that perfectly, which meant that more and more families, and David, you, you mentioned that word, I think it's absolutely right, um, but the middle classes buy into football in a way that, that, that probably hadn't been done before. And the lesson was finally learned by football execs in England and TV execs, which would 
bring about the Premier League, that the answer to their problems had been staring them in the face from the corner of their living rooms throughout the 70s and 80s. You make something attractive that people can see they want to be a part of it, they want to buy into it, they want to pay to watch it. And of course, this is what blows effectively, will blow Rangers and Scottish football out of the water. There's another part in that uh, football coverage, in a way, in, in one stroke, it would dumb down eventually because it just the the, the 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 drama thing would, would become too much, but it also starts a process of um, the opposite and treating football fans with a wee bit more respect that they can cope with detail. Yes, the BBC did and ITV did their, their own thing, but the, the the main feed came from Italy. It came from Rai, and so the you, the graphics that you saw on the screen were that that came from the Italian broadcaster. And there was stats involved. And there was information that, that, that you probably wouldn't get a lot of at home. And team lineups became different. Every Scottish game that was covered up and including the nineteen ninety Scottish Cup final, for example, would give the team lineups either horizontally or vertically. The first weekend of the nineteen ninety ninety one season when Rangers played Dunfermline, the BBC highlights had that as a tactical formation, yeah. yeah, and it's an immediate change of right. Maybe, maybe there, there can be a bit more detail. And as the nineties grow, on, you're going to get a lot more of that. Andy Gray will pioneer that. We talked about that in, in, in the last the last show. And also, do not underestimate for the generation that came into the noughties and changed tactical writing, kind of uh, beyond um, understanding. Um, don't underestimate the, the impact of things like championship manager on on that generation. No, no, this, this, well, this how link, many players do we? Yeah, 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 how many players did we all go about saying, "Oh, he's a great player yeah. that we'd never seen"? You're linking Teddy football Lutches. with, yeah, you're linking football with numbers, and a lot of them. You're talking about different things. You're talking about um, styles and cultures, and you're talking about players. Your your knowledge of players increases, and it's not just the Premier League that comes to the '92. Italian football will come to us if you've got Sky in 1990, and eventually in the mainstream into the you know um, terrestrial audiences in 1992 and Channel Four, and all of a sudden, Scottish football until then probably had been protected. We discussed this a wee bit last week in terms of television, um, which meant by design actually that it was special because you couldn't really see, certainly not live football, that AC Milan team. Well, you saw the highlights of their European wins on Sports Night. It was snippets. In terms of live football, when you got it, it was it was it was Scottish, not even English, with the odd exception. So everything was protected, which meant that we felt that our football was the, the kind of centre of the world. All of a sudden yeah. in that summer, that protection's yep, gone. And you realise there's a huge world out there and we will demand, my generation will definitely demand that Rangers are a part of that and will complain bitterly that we are absolutely hopeless when it comes to, to, to European football football that matters because it matters to other people outside these parish walls. Anyway, back to the here and now. Um, the same day that Scotland defeated Sweden, Graham Soonis finally, finally got the man he'd been looking for pretty much since he came to the club, Mark Hately. Um, he had a horrendous 18-month spell with injury, an ankle injury. Monaco decided he wanted to get back to British football. He wanted to get back to crowds. Was a huge driver in in, in Hayley's, yeah, yeah. Um, um move. Lovely place, nobody turns yeah, up. Exactly. He he felt yeah. the the need. He wanted to respond to all that. Um, and here's an example of of the soonest McCoy's calls it nastiness. As soon as bumped into a mutual friend um, of of McCoy's, um, who was saying, you know, Ali's very downbeat um, about missing out these games and soon as said he'll be even more disappointed when he finds out who I've just signed Jeez, uh, yeah, yeah. so that that edge Ali again writes about that in his book yeah, he because he said he knew it would get back to me mm-hmm. oh it was yeah. deliberate yeah he soon as absolutely knew but here's again a portent of, of, of things to come World Cup ends Rangers again back in Italy back in Il Choco for the, the, the training camp um, their first night off turns violent. Mo Johnson's not happy that Sunis has brought Hately in to, to kind of threaten this partnership, a successful partnership. Um, Johnson throws drinks about. Hately, um, let's just say, shows some physical restraint. Um, and Johnson, it's... it's. McCoy writes in his book that 
the reason that Johnson's face was all cut up is because he attempted to jump in Scott Nisbet's bed during the night only to find that the mattress had been removed so he just oh, uh, right. faced down with points to Sporting Springs um, if you believe that I've got a bridge to sell you but <laughs> either way this, this didn't look good for Rangers and it looked like Johnson was going um, because a huge fight in the, the training camp constant speculation however he returned he apologised to Sunus, made his peace and he was one of the Rangers players chosen to model the, the, the new admirable, admirable, admirable kit, David. Um, <laughs> again, the, all the things about Johnson, he's not an idiot. He, he, he no. knew politically where he still had some power, where he had to maybe make some concessions and then, as we will discuss in the next season shows, when his time was up and he, he wouldn't hang around the way that, that the McCoyst would. Um, we small chat on, I know we have a, a show on strips and all that, but you know, you are a strip man, David. Uh, this kind of wood panelling thing, the the horrendous shell suit. Um, where do you stand on, on this particular effort? Well, it's controversial, uh, this this particular strip. And I can hear certain friends of mine who just despise everything to do with, with Admiral. Admiral was a venerable old British sports make that Rangers actually bought. Rangers bought yeah, so that they would get 100% of the profits on the kits. And uh, for those of you who, whenever a Rangers new kit manufacturer comes out and you hear people say, oh, that's terrible, and people who get strangely upset by the, the make of sportswear, uh, he says that if Rangers ever get a Joma kit, then you know I'm going to go and start, I think, supporting Pollock. <laughs> but uh, all, all joking aside, the, the strip, is, it, it's an odd one. I... I have a fondness for it because of my age. Um, the material is odd. It's, it's quite crinkly. The shell suit, I have to say, Martin, when I was 13, I thought was the coolest mm. thing I had oh, ever dear. seen in my life. Right? I thought it was... Now, this is the height of shell suit mania, and I thought... And every club had a shell suit, by the way, folks. Oh, yeah. Track suits were, were seen as very old hat. And um, the the issue with it is, as dynamite as it looks, it wasn't for wearing for two reasons. Firstly, it was flammable. And <laughs> given this was an age where you know practically every adult smoked and they certainly could smoke inside, that could be a bit of an issue. Um, it was incredibly <laughs> flammable, as all shell suits tended to be. The other problem with it was that it was blue, white and red in big segments. Purple. And when you washed it, the white bit turned purple, <laughs> as as science dictates when when white uh, mixes with red and blue. Um, I I have one up the stairs, which as you know I I collect, and it is one of the very rare ones that a didn't go on fire, and b clearly wasn't worn or washed much. It's still white, absolutely, but. Um, the, there was some decent admiral range. I've got some stuff that I, I love. Like there's admiral training range was pretty smart. I think we all remember Sunis and the, uh, the the blue uh, rugby shirt with the with the big white collar. It was pretty smart, mm-hmm. but um, it, it was just sheer profit. And there is a an argument that um, if you shift a lot of kits, which clubs like Rangers and to be fair Celtic do, um, but you will you won't get one of those deals that a Liverpool or a Manchester United will get from a major sportswear. You kind of are better if you can somehow control the production. And interestingly, Wolves have done this this season, even though they have Castor. Castor only make the first team kits. Wolves really? outsource yeah. it and keep... The problem with it is the reason that clubs like Rangers and Celtic and other you know, clubs who sell a lot of strips uh, around the world but, but aren't in line for these huge deals, the reason they don't do it is the hassle. Because then, obviously, you have to manage the manufacturing, you have to manage the mm-hmm, supply yeah. chain, you have to do all of that, the, the accounting, all of that. It is a lot easier for company A to come and say, "We'll we'll give you, you know, an itemised, and you'll get your chunk of it, and you'll get it all in one go." It, it, it's a lot easier. So I do understand that, but see, whenever Rangers have had this, they've had it twice, uh, where they've had in-house control of it. Once was Admiral, once was the Diodora era. Diodora never made our strips, they just paid to actually have their names put on them. Now those strips were frigging horrid, right? Awful football kits. But Rangers made shed loads of money doing it. So it's something that I think all clubs really, unless you, you know, you're Manchester United, Liverpool and you've been given 90 million pound deals. I think all clubs should really look into, because it's so easy in the modern era to get in contact with 
you know, we get our shirts produced, you know, easily enough. It's, it's it's quite a straightforward thing. It just requires a wee bit of forward investment, but afterwards it will pay off quite quickly. So I love the away strip, though. See the white one with the, the red and the blue the on West, the shoulders? The West yeah, Germany uh, inspiration, yeah. Just the, before we, we, we go into... Controversial. Just before we get into some actual football chat, um, I'll stay with you, Davey. Um, just a quick other sartorial comment. Um, Soonest has returned with designer stubble, small beard. What are we making of that? A Rangers man. Hated it. Yeah. Hated it. Um, I, I wrote about this in my book. And as I said at the time, I, I, I grew up in a Northern Irish, uh, a half Northern Irish family. Right? Every adult male had a moustache. Right, and I grew up in Ayrshire in the eighties. Every adult male had a moustache, so moustaches to me were solid and trustworthy. Beards, <laughs> suspicious, right? I, I, and I maintain this: if you're growing a beard, you've got something to hide. Beards are for Brian Blessed or people with something to hide. So unless you are Brian Blessed or you have something to hide, don't grow a beard. I've got nothing to hide. Bad. I mean, I have a beard. I have nothing to hide. I just have nothing on top, and it's actually are you good Brian, to have. Are you Brian Blessed? I'm sadly not Brian Blessed. No. Um, but you know, it seems to work, David. People like it. Um, it does, Luke. And again, I, my, my views have softened since I lost my hair as well. Yeah. Um, right. Soon as Alan has created some more issues for himself, he yep. has gone back to his target man thing, despite Europe kind of moving away from that model. Um, he now has three very good um, strikers to fit into two. Yeah. The other signing, but it won't come until October, is Ole Kuznetsov and Dynamo Kiev because the Soviet season doesn't finish until then. Sunis has made it very clear he's going to play in a back three because that's that was the rigueur at the World Cup and you know to do it properly you need the right players, he said. When Ole Kuznetsov arrives, I believe we will have them. Now, Butcher and Goff are an established two. Butcher had played in a three during the World Cup with England, but... Um, He's mixing things around here a, a wee bit, Alan. Can you remember what you thought about both signings first, by the way? Yeah, I mean, the Mark Hately one, I kind of knew of him. Uh, I've got relatives in Portsmouth. He was down at Pompey and he'd done well in particular in one season. Then he obviously went to AC Milan and then it became Attila the Hun, I think was his nickname. And I might seen him scoring some goals over there. So I, can, I knew of him. England as well. Yeah, obviously international caps, AC Milan, fine, and obviously the injury. So I knew, but I remember uh, we played Man United, I think, maybe in a pre-season, around about that time when we got him, and I might have in a real argument with a guy behind me in the Copeland, who was just going on about how shy Hayley was and why did we get him. Now, the guy clearly was after 18 months out, yeah. and I think my response, as usual, Martin, was, listen, I think he's got, about, you know, he's got dozens of English Caps, he's played. I think he scored against Brazil, didn't he? And he John did. Barnes yeah, went John too. Game, yeah. you, you know, look at look, look who he's played with Milan and so on. But and obviously, uh, as time went on, you know, clearly turned into you know that kind of wonderful player. But I was pleased with him. But I was a bit that whole Mo Johnson, Alan McCoy. I loved that partnership. And as you say, it was a bit of a. As soon as when you first came in, you made a lot of changes. Things were going well. Then we were looking a wee bit more kind of, there's a bit of stability. Now you've suddenly come in, and Big Kuznetsov as well, who obviously was wonderful, saw him playing against us. I think in the friendly, did they not? Yeah, Rangers, part of, the, part of the agreement uh, was a friendly at Ibrooks, uh, and my dad, had, I went to that, and uh, Dynamo Kiev, Dynamo Kiev mid-season uh, for them, right? We are, we are still getting to grips with it. They looked incredible, the, the, and the, so the, does Kuznetsov. And, the, 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 yeah. They strolled it, and uh, he, he in particular looked good. Yeah. Now, I've got loads going on here, so bear with me. The other one I've got is Terry Butcher, to me, probably like Andy McGowan. Uh, that first season he came, to me, was like the greatest Rangers centre-half I had seen. So a real fondness for him. But what happened was... Obviously, he was really struggling. And the other bubble I've got in my head is this World Cup. It's always terrible, I find, in a season after there's been a World Cup because people haven't got the time off and yeah. so on. And they end up going, and all of those things came in. The Peter Hister one, I thought, was great because Mark Walters had been doing really well, but we did need cover and we needed mm. to switch things and so on. So, But overall positive. The only other one that, that's kind of coming along is Terry Hurlock. That... I couldn't quite... I know Derek Ferguson goes out for 7.50 and it's money we can't refuse, 
But that, that was a kind of strange one too. And again, Martin, still in my head at that point in time, I'm like, what are we doing? Are we just going to focus on Scotland? Are we going to yeah. try? And it just seemed, it was a bit like that kind of strategic wilderness, you know, the marketing. We're not quite here, we're not there. We're yeah. kind of stuck in the middle. Do you know? Yeah, yeah. David, I'll, I'll come to you in a moment about Hullock and Hustra and some of the other targets that we looked at. But, um, and you and I have spoken about Haley before, so, and we will again. Spoiler alert, listeners, he's quite a prominent figure through through mm-hmm. the, the, the show. David, your thoughts on Kuznetsov, who, I mean, let, let's be honest, um, that is, I'm trying to think of a bigger sign since Butcher, to be honest, if we're, if we're looking at this 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 period of time in terms of reputation, in terms of international class. Uh, but, as I said before, to accommodate him, we are, we're upsetting... A kind of continuity there, David. Yeah, and I think there was this assumption that it was just as easy as go and play in a three. And you have to understand that this was completely and utterly alien to these guys who had grown up and played their whole careers. I mean, four at the back was just, you know, four four two was basically a shibboleth, but four at the back was what you did. Um, and I think that there was a sense of well, what was wrong with the defence in the first place? Because Best defensive record in the history of the Premier League the season before. There you go. We had been quite tight. Um, it, it didn't seem to be the defence that was a problem. And again, I wonder if it was part of the limited thinking back then that we saw we saw areas of the pitch in silos. I don't think we saw them as joined up. And we now know we live in an era where the goalkeeper is involved, you know, mm-hmm. as, as part of your attacking tactics. But back then, it was simple. Defenders defended, midfield linked defence and up front, and up front tried to score your goals. And that was pretty much what, what football was. It was nice and simple. But Sunas wanted to, you know, it was very influenced by that World Cup, which, I mean, you mentioned earlier, that World Cup was like we'd been watching black and white and suddenly here was Technicolor. Um, yeah. And I think I could, I could see why. Also, you know, Kuznetsov was such a striking player in those sides. You know, you noticed them, the 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 big tall guy with the blonde curly hair mm. and his amazing passing ability. I think if you're Butcher, you can say, well, I can knock a ball, you know, about I can knock a 60 yard onto somebody's foot, which you could. could. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I just think that there was, you know, these are huge characters, Butcher and Goff, huge. Um, and I think saying we're going to change to accommodate someone and he's a defender. I, I could see both of them bristling slightly at that. And both of them had healthy egos. And I say healthy because you need it, you know, mm-hmm. to, to achieve, to be, to be at the top level. And I could see both of them being, being kind of quite miffed by it. And yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was going to be a little bit of a, a little bit of a culture shock. David, you know that. Sorry, just to come in. You know the scenario planning come thing. I'm going to do this, and the impact of it will be X, Y, and Z. And going through, it's as if, like, with soonest he's like, I'm going to bring in Kuznetsov. Right, hold on. What about Butcher and Goff? Ah, no, so, ah, no, I'll do. What about the Haley one as well? But you've got Wee Johnson, you've got McCoy's, and the two of them are playing well and they're doing. I, I don't know. There just seemed to be quite a lot of that going on. And the impact of it was obviously the McCoy's, you saw it with Johnson as well. To start off with, that obviously caused a lot of problems there. You see the same, obviously, at the, the back. I, I don't know. It's, it's just, you just wonder what was going through. Graham Sinus's mind at the time, whether this was just one last, right, I want to do one last kind of chance here. I know we've been struggling in the two fronts, but but, but it just seemed to cause a bit of, I don't know, kind of disharmony, didn't it, you know, early on? Yeah. I, I think you get, as human beings, we all get an idea in our head that becomes difficult to shift on occasion, whether it's uh, buying uh, something, whether it's a view on something. He wanted Mark Haitley, end of story. Mark yeah, Haitley, yeah. Could have been hurtling about on one leg if he was available to come to Rangers. Graham's going to get him, sign him, um, and it turned out to be a wonderful decision because he was a top, top-ranked player. Um, I, I, there was an element when we were bringing in Mark Haitley of because again, this is going to sound so peculiar in the you know to people who grew up in the ages of squads and horses for courses. If you had two strikers, you basically had Gary McSwegan behind them in case one of them wasn't fit. That was sort of that's right. Yeah. That's kind of what we thought it was, right? You, if you had, you, you, you wouldn't have three first-choice strikers for two positions. That just seemed alien and silly. 
Um, and, and again, Martin, you'll remember, I know you're a student of this, this period, when Benitez and Mourinho came in at Chelsea and they started rotating. Hmm. The amount of complaints from from old, you know, people who'd played in the 80s saying, oh, the players don't like this, you know, they won't like being <laughs> ref, you know, that, that, and now it's... But their, their theory was, of course, that there's no such thing as a backup. You have a lean squad yep. of 22 players, 23 players, uh, whatever, um, and that's it. Anybody can play. It's not a case of, oh, God, we're going to have to play him this week. Mm-hmm. Um, so it isn't your reserves, but you're absolutely right, That that's anathema to yeah, a range of yeah. support at this time I mean, because I mean, what, you have a partnership it? at either end of the ground that has been um, reliable, it's popular, successful. And you're right about Hately, David, he, he wanted him, he was coming in, but that's a departure from the type of football he played the season before. I can see the Kuznetsov angle um, because as, as great a player and as totemic a player as Terry Butcher was, he wasn't as good as Ole Kuznetsov. Richard Goff is nowhere near the football that Ole Kuznetsov was. He would grow into the greatest leader, I think, the Rangers have ever had on the park. Maybe till now, perhaps. But After John Gregg, absolutely. Aye. Um, but well, he, well, Goff's nine in a row went the right way. Aye, exactly. Oh. But, but Kuznetsov, oh, no, was, yeah. Kuznetsov was super class. And we, we were struggling, okay? We were struggling in Europe. Because we, we just didn't have players good enough on the ball. Um, we had been defeated. Bayern Munich maybe slightly different. They're just very good. Um, but the other exits were self-inflicted to, to a certain degree. What I want to ask about, uh, Alan's um, triggered it already. Peter Hooster makes sense. Absolute sense, because uh, you can't yeah. be too reliant on, on Mark Walters. Bringing in Brian Reed from Morton as defensive cover makes sense. Getting Derek Fergus needs spent most of the last season on loan at Dundee. You get seven hundred seven hundred fifty grand from Hearts. Unbelievable. Um, yep. Know. See you after. Um, soon as doesn't like him, he's not. Um, the other signing now, Jan Molby is Rangers' midfield target for the season. Jan Molby wants to come to Rangers. Liverpool exercise a clause in his contract that they can have another year option. It's, it's up to them, and they take it. He wanted Jim Bett, and that fell through from Aberdeen. He wanted John Collins, but that would be a, a, a Celtic deal that he couldn't hijack. He, John Collins would go to Parkhead that summer. All three are ball players. It goes back to the, the discussion we had um, about the, 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 the departure of Wilkins. Terry Hurlock turns up, as our midfield signing that, that <laughs> summer. And Souness would be at great lengths to say, listen, he's a far better player than, than people think. But I think when you come with the reputation he has as some kind of manic bone crusher, the fact that he can play a five-yard pass is, is a minor miracle in and of itself. Uh, Terry Hullock was, by the way, a better player than, than maybe his reputation, but he wasn't yeah. Jan Moby, did he? No, uh, Jan Moby would have been just fantastic. Um, it, because he was exactly that type of player that you needed. He could hold a ball, and he'd grown up in that Liverpool, and before that Ajax, that system of a lot of passing. Mm. You know, it was famous. It was always the remarkable thing about those Liverpool teams. They passed, they outpassed you, and he could have done that. In the hurly-burly of Scottish football, it would have been interesting, but I think he had so much class. Um, and he played in England in the 80s, you know, which wasn't exactly... Uh, he could, could handle yeah, I, I think he, he would have been absolutely brilliant. Uh, Collins uh, was a good player. I always thought Collins was a good player. Uh, he, he would have been all right. Jim Bett was a guy I just could never warm to. Um, I, he played for Rangers before really my time. Yeah. So I, I, I just had no identification with him as a Ranger. Um, but he was a very, very good footballer. And he would he have been against us, David. He'd play well but against he, us for Aberdeen he, constantly. He played well for, against most teams for he, Aberdeen. He, he, was, he was a good player with us. He just didn't have enough decent players around him. But Jazz, no, Jazz, I mean, obviously well, I've seen him, but Jim Bett was a, was a good player. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I, and he would have he would have been good. Collins, I think, would have been good, although I think a little young at that point to uh, mm. be a play, playmaker. Yeah. yeah, he played in the left a lot at Hibs at that, at that stage. So uh, and he didn't him. have the... Well, he, did, oh, he was a great player, but he didn't have the, the, the kind of figure he became so inordinately proud of um, after his spell in Monaco. <laughs> but uh, Moby would have been just... Per- Jan Moby would have been yeah. the perfect player for what Sunis wanted to do. 
It then is odd that he then goes and brings in someone who was a tackler. You know, that that, that was what it Now, Hurlock was a better footballer and we would see this. And it's kind of hard not to, to damn him here with faint praise. Oh, he was better. But it, it's not Terry Hurlock's fault. If you try, you know, he can't do what Jan Mulby can do. Equally, Jan Mulby couldn't do what Terry Hurlock can do. And I think Terry Hurlock has a right to think, well, if you're signing me, it's because of the skills that I have exhibited thus far in my career. So this is a conscious decision from Sunus. Against that, it might have been, I'm not going to lash out the money right now. I'll pay, what was it, 350 grand for Terry Hurlock. I know I can trust him in the domestic game and I'll still keep, because, you know, it's not like now there wasn't a window. I'll still keep my eyes peeled and see if I can pick somebody up uh, for, for a fee. So there could have been an element of that. But it does, you know, it's very difficult to say. The three signings that will be the spine of your team in this 3-5-2 don't match up. On the one hand, you've got Kuznetsov, and on the other hand, you've got these two guys who one is a target man, one is a Rottweiler. Again, it's this tension between I know what I want us to do, but I just can't bring myself to do it. Unfortunately, with Derek Ferguson, if Derek Ferguson had have been professional yeah. and had yeah. applied it. Terry Maybe Ferguson right. had the qualities. He could yeah. he was like he was like a young soonest. He could play pick a pass, he could control midfield and he had to dig as well. But yeah. it's it was his off the field stuff yeah. and you know, that was a real shame. Cause oh, I, he blew I think it. He blew it at Hearts and he blew it at he blew it at and he blew it at Sunderland because Sunderland he just well, yeah. He, he just he didn't have the brain to be a footballer, unfortunately. No, but again, uh, as we will see next week, there is an answer in the middle of the field of a ball-playing, class-A playmaker who's <laughs> yeah, called Trevor right, Stephen, yeah. uh, who wanted to play there, but as soon as only when needed uh, would he do that. Rangers started the season uh, home to the Fairman, 3-1 win. Haitley and Johnson on the score sheet, um, very comfortable. 4-4-2. Three other games, um, we'll, we'll, we'll look at Two mainly um, just now. Um, away to Hearts. Um, Rangers play three four three, so he, he goes for the trident. Um, McCoy's maybe a wee bit deeper line. McCoy's used to play midfield, of course, um, early mid eighties yeah. for Rangers. Um, and this back three, because Netsov's not there yet, but Rangers are playing a back three. You got Richard Goff, a right sided defender, playing at the left side of a back three. Um, and Gary Stevens, a right back playing at the right side of a back three, somebody he's never played before, effectively using Trevor Stephen as a kind of wind back. Again, Trevor Stephen not blessed with a huge engine and, and, and bags of pace, who's throwing on the other side. But Rangers are brilliant. 1 3 1 at Hearts uh, at Tynecastle. Some excellent football. Genuinely, genuinely good stuff. McCoy gets a couple of goals, Hustra gets another. The interpassing, the interchanging is great. Uh, and then Celtic come to Ibrox. Again, the similar kind of formation. And this is what happened. Well done by the referee, David Syme. Here's John Collins. Glancing header! Derek White for Celtic! Eight minutes into the second half. And Celtic have been under the crush for so much of the game. Frustrating game. Um, this one-one draw. Rangers, the better team. Pat Bonner actually a very rare, good game um, uh, against us. In my memory, he's always some something of a disaster. Um, and then her look for overall, we've we've criticised his technique or at least um, 
you know, damned that with faint praise. Yeah, and thankfully popped up with something. Absolutely. Um, and it was a very important, you know, there, there was some, some decent football being played by this Rangers team and mm. the potential was there. We weren't always great starters either. So that was pleasant. And we looked as though we had the roots of, of something special going on in this period, I felt, Martin. But again, you look at the side, there's ability there. You know, that's a side that's packed full of ability. Um, and there should be a confidence in the side because, you know, we know what we've achieved the last couple of seasons. I think there was also a lot of expectation weighing on the team at this point. But yeah, it was it was all systems go at the beginning of the season. Alan, any memories of the that that start, that that first old firm game, the 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 win at Tynecastle? I think I so loved that. I think it was a nice sunny day. It was, yeah. I remember, and that was where I thought Peter Hustra, mm. you know, it was like, this guy's good, he's quick, he's, he looked quite intelligent. Uh, McCoy's just in his just classic alley. And I, remember, I just remember, I always loved Tain Castle behind the goal, you know, that big uh, terracing. Mm. I think at one point we used to be able to go all the way around down to their end, mm. but obviously, it's, it's, you know, through time they put the fence up, but... Uh, that one was good. The Celtic one, I, I mean, they get out with a kind of one each. Yeah, they did. And it, it, it could have been, Martin, it could have been three or four one. Uh, and although we talked about Terry Harlow, he didn't have finished that one, didn't he? I mean, it was an absolute cracking kind of, it was like in a half volley, wasn't yeah, it, down the bottom corner, yeah. Right? Beautifully arrowed in the, the, the corner. So Rangers, four games in the league, uh, six points, two wins, two draws, no no big drama at all, sitting in third place. Um who's top of the league, Aberdeen, I would have thought. No, Dundee United, Dundee United with seven points, Aberdeen with six alongside us. Uh, the Skull Cup, David, providing its usual feast of goals, um, 5-0 against East Stirlingshire uh, at Ibrooks. And then in the, the, the quarter-final, Wraith Rovers came to Ibrooks, Rangers won 6-2. Terry Butcher scored a remarkable goal from distance, <laughs> um, but he also scored an own goal, um, something oh, he would not do for yeah. the last time. Uh, a stunner as well. I mean, I just an, an absolute beauty. Um, Soonest wasn't mentally keen on Butcher. You could sense a tension mm-hmm. at this point. He didn't uh, want him to go to the World Cup, but he understood that he had Terry to. Butcher is going to that World Cup as his last chance. He will feel, you know, fairly as it turned out, that, that England had a chance, um, but he wasn't fit. And he, he knew... I think I think soon as soon as maybe plays into the Kuznetsov thing as well, Davy. Well, he point, he yeah. knew that 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 Butcher was unlikely to come back. Absolutely rip roaring. Yeah. No, and and that that's legit. You could sense the sort of tension there. We've seen this before, um, longer periods sometimes between the the leader, the strong leader, and his strong lieutenant. That after a while, the strong leader has maybe heard off in in a certain direction, and he looks round and he he's not quite is sure that, that the guy who's now a little bit more successful and, you know, idolised in his own right by the club is is blindly following him anymore. And I think there was maybe an element of that. And as I say, two titanic egos, that that was always liable, liable to happen. Yeah. Also, I think, and surely I'm not the only one, this is coming through to, throughout these, soon as, throughout this period is like a cat in a hot tin roof. Like yeah. there's a there's a there's a I, I don't know quite what, what the, the perfect word to describe it is, but there's a a sense of of being like a caged animal and, and wanting to push in every direction. Um to to give you a rather a, a homely metaphor, it reminds me of my mum who's never done decorating, right? When, when she, no, but when she does the kitchen, she moves on to the bathroom. When the bathroom gets done, she wants the living room done. Yeah. When the living room's done, the master bedroom needs done. When the master bedroom needs done, the hall needs done. And my poor dad, who just wants occasionally to... Uh, you know, just sit, quiet. Yeah, peace yeah. and quiet. And he says, it's like a circle. He says, it's been a circle for the last 40 years. He goes, um, as soon as one's done, she moves on to the next. And Sunis is like that, you know, Sunis is, I think, always, always striding, always on this journey to somewhere. And, you know, other people might occasionally want to stop and smell the roses, and I don't think he had any time for that. David, he's thinking to, I had a boss years and years ago, the post office, and I'm telling you, every day it was like, what's he going to come in with now? He would go and have a cup of coffee 
and then everything would all change and then we'd all kind of realign and then the next day, it's just got that feeling about it, as you say, Martin mentioned about the pressure as well and I don't know whether the pressure itself is making him act even more in that way, but it must have been a, a bit of a nightmare, it'd be a nightmare in his head but again, you can imagine being part of the, the kind of team around him or the squad, all the time you'd be what's going to happen next and how will that impact on me? Yeah. yeah. Remember, he is at a war footing with Aye. just about everybody. Everybody, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, there's Aye. a great, for those of you who watch Kirby Enthusiasm, I once saw a great promotional poster for it that said, one man's battle with everything. Yeah. And that's that's soonest in this period. I reckon he'll be singing, no one likes me, I don't care. Yeah. It's yeah. just the Rangers. Well, yeah. we will, we'll see as it develops. What it does give us, gents, again, I think is a fascinating season. Yes. Uh, that, that we, mm-hmm. yeah. as time goes on, we only have, we only have so much space in our brains and our memories to to give um, uh, prominence to to only a, 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 a few few bits and pieces. The Aberdeen game, which of course we'll come to in, in, in a few weeks' time, kind of sums the whole thing up. But there is so much going on in this season uh, that it will be good to to get uh, into it with with you guys, and of course um, John and Andy next week. Thank you for your time this week guys it's been a pleasure thank you David it's always a pleasure it really is I love this show I think it's it's everything that I'd hoped that it would be and I know that the listeners are responding to it massively as well which is very much appreciated the the work that Martin does on it uh, labour of love or not is absolutely superb and, and I think that it the great thing about something like this, like some of the big series we've done over the years, this this thing will stand. This thing people can go back to. Um, and I hope for any of the new younger listeners that we're conveying not only what happened, but a sense of how it felt as it happened. Yeah, I hope so too. And I appreciate listeners. If you're not listening to this this week, there might be other things capturing your attention. <laughs> but David says it will be here forever. Um, Alan, thank you as always. I hope to catch you in sunny Spain on Wednesday. Oh, do you yeah. not have to catch me? I take it as ready. He's already there. You, you and I are still. We're not there yet. That's true. I, I'm the landing party. I'm here first. Yeah. <laughs> it's party. It's okay. Yeah. Advance party. Yeah, that's true. Let's, let's shove old Alan over there and just see what happens. <laughs> yeah, I know what you're like. Uh, no, for me as well. No, thanks, Martin. Really enjoyed it. Obviously, going through it at the time was smashing. But this, this is even better. Actually, taking time now to go back and get all of the various inputs and just kind of revisit it. And again, as David said, I think, Martin, you're the first guy that I shall look forward to getting homework from. Mm. So, you, because of the amount of work that you're putting into this one, and obviously you're giving it to us and then we're going through. So, but again, it, it's just absolutely fantastic. So thanks again, really enjoying it. Yeah. Good, good. Hope you are as well, listeners. We have a fascinating few shows for 1991. Soonest is on his war footing and he is experimenting again, but that final experiment would come at Tanadice on the 22nd of September after a, a bright start that saw Mo Johnson put Rangers into the lead, but ended in a 2-1 defeat. The match was tied at 1-1 when Alan Main, Dundee United goalkeeper, launched a long kick downfield. Teddy Butcher was caught slightly out of position, running backwards, and with a striker on him, he attempted to header the ball back to Woods, who in any case, even though Goff, now in his left, was covering if he'd let it bounce behind him. It left Woods, who'd come off his line, to try and deal with the threat, helpless as it looped over him and into the net. The ball hadn't touched the ground from one box to the other. The one against Dundee United, Terry Butcher said, was my last and best own goal. He joked years later. It would be his last of any kind at Rangers. Terry Butcher would never play for the club again. Until next week, bye for now. Podcast Network.